Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again. Broadcasting almost live from a secure bunker deep beneath the North Pole, it's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and my competitive gift wrapping partner, Tyler Crawley. How goes it? I don't, I don't, are you insinuating the North Pole is a defunct business? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not. I was just trying to be festive, Tyler. <laughs> okay, all right. Trying all right. to be festive. Okay. You should have said Gimbals or something, like the Macy's and Gimbals, like famous <laughs> Christmas one. Uh, no, I'm glad. That's good. That's good because Christmas is on, um, at least I'm hoping it is because I bought all these presents. Otherwise, I'm returning them uh, back what to – What did you get me? Surprise. You'll find out. Uh, Surprise! I didn't get you anything. That's 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 kind of a surprise <laughs> there. So you've been gone for you went on a trip, man. How was the trip? You went to I did some some warm places. I, I went to some warm tropical places, and so I appreciate everyone, you know, giving us the week to not record a podcast and for me to enjoy sunny weather and having my phone completely turned off for an entire week. For the first time, I think ever since I've gotten a cell phone, so it was fantastic. That's crazy. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. There are some withdrawal symptoms, uh-huh. but you get through it. It's really? It really when you get back and all of a sudden your phone starts going off all the time. You kind of wish you could turn it back. Was there off. like a paper there that you could like read in the morning just to like know have some idea of what's going on, or are you just like complete like nah, just a week well, of no news. <laughs> unfortunately. On the cruise ship, they got CNN. Oh, okay. So I had to watch CNN periodically during the time. And I, I will tell you one thing. As we have talked about much on this show, there are a lot of criticisms as to what Trump says and how he says it. But a lot of his attacks on the media are kind of well-founded. <laughs> Having to watch CNN for a week was pretty painful. Well, yeah, I mean, with the problem with the media and what's so like kind of just disheartening, I guess, for people, I think, like us, is that when you watch the news, you have to pick like either nothing but people that hate Trump or nothing but people that love Trump. And you're kind of like, I don't want, can I just have like news again where when Trump does something <laughs> exactly. bad, yes. Trump gets criticized and does something good, then we, we praise him. But you can't. You, there's nothing to watch. I mean, I, I think, and I, I will say this: Fox News is day block. Um, it's pretty good. Where they just talk about some stories and everything else. But like Fox and Friends is a little too pro Trump for me. I mean, I'm on the air anyway, so I can't watch it. But yeah, I mean, like on the weekends when I watch Fox and Friends, I'm like, ugh. Sometimes, like Pete Hegseth is just so up Trump's butt. It's unbelievable. And then at night, you know, it's like Tucker and Hannity and Ingram. You just can't. I mean, it's just like whatever. But then you turn on CNN and it's just them, no matter what Trump does. I mean, he's right. Like he could cure cancer and they'd be like, oh, but, you know, he didn't cure AIDS. Oh, I, I guess because AIDS is, you know, that, that, that would help gay people. So he's so anti-gay. And it'd be like, what in the world? So, it, yeah, it, it's what happened in the news where people actually just and not, like I said, I think Fox does do a good job during the day, at least from the shows that I've watched. Way all CNN's now is partisan, is like opinion. There's no, there's no anchors anymore. It's just here's what we think about Trump at six o'clock, at five o'clock, that's, at four o'clock. No, that's exactly what I saw. Is every time I turned it on, there was no news. It was all opinion. It was here's what I think. I'm going to have a guest on who is either going to agree with me or I'm going to tell them why they're wrong. And every single segment was about Trump. I said, surely there is more going on in the world than just the the FBI probe. But 
I, I, I don't know. Has anything else been going on, Tyler? What should I know that does not have to do with Donald Trump that has happened in the last 10 days? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, we're, I'm actually going to call an audible here live as we're recording this. because Almost live. We're almost, almost live. live. Almost live. Because we're going to talk about the 9th District. And usually we do you know our North Carolina stuff first. Or we were planning on that. Because that's actually both national and North Carolina. But because we're talking about the media, let's talk about the Weekly Standard. Um, and, Let's them do go, it. And, and them going out of business. And I know that that um, you got a little bit more of the story because mine's just sort of, okay, they're closing up shop on Friday is what they announced. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what I had, had kind of looked into is this is the, I, I guess, the most recent media story breaking that after 20 years in business, the conservative publication, The Weekly Standard, is closing up shop. And according to reports, the paper has seen a steady decline in readership, which we were talking about may or may not be the case. So I'll be interested to get your take on this, Tyler. Um, But they think that it might have something to do with the anti-Trump nature that um, or kind of stance that the Weekly Standard has taken uh, in the last couple of years since Trump has risen to power. And this comes on the heels as an announcement uh, of a merger between The Blaze, which is Glenn Beck's media outlet, and CRTV which was Mark Levin's media outlet to form Blaze Media, both of which have kind of struggled in the Trump era of teetering between traditional conservatism and Trump worship. Pro-Trump Fox News is also launching its own online platform, Fox Nation. So my question on this, Tyler, was do you think that there is going to be any luck for media outlets that aren't completely polarized or uh, are you and I out of a job? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I wonder that. I'm on probably... I think without a doubt, the most pro-Trump friendly medium being a talk radio host. Uh, there's probably no other outlet, uh, no other medium that's more Trump friendly than than uh, talk radio. And there's been there's there, and there's some changes uh, in talk in talk radio that uh, do have me a little concerned because, as everyone knows, I'm not a big fan of Trump. Uh, Michael Medved, who is on the Salem Network, is leaving and. They announced it. There's always there always was a debate about you know is he you know he was one of the the the, the holdouts the one on Salem that was just not never really got on board the Trump train. Others had like Hugh Hewitt you know, was kind of anti-Trump and then finally got on board and has sort of made peace with it. Others like Mike Gallagher and others seem far more pro-Trump. But they're replacing him with Sebastian Gorka from the Trump administration. So to me, a lot of people look at these things and they go, oh my gosh, it's, you know, this is, if you're anti-Trump and you're, you know, talk radio, you know, it's over. If you're anti-Trump and on Fox News, it's over. They've, you know, Fox News has a couple contributors that I know they, 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 they cut their uh, contributor deals with. I think Stephen Hayes was one of the Weekly Standard. And there were some others who, like I said, had contributor contracts and they didn't renew. George Will was another, I think, I'm not sure if Bill Crystal had one or not. I'm not sure. But there were a lot of pro-Trump people who did not get their contracts renewed. But here's the other thing. is and I, and, I, and I do think that Trump plays a part in this because there are people out there, unfortunately, I mean, the polling isn't very ambiguous. Uh, you're either for Trump or you're against Trump. So if you're in kind of like the middle ground where I like to be, and I think you're sort of in the same boat and others like Ben Shapiro and others. Oh, and by the way, Ben Shapiro who many look at as being anti-Trump, has has a uh, radio show that is going to be coming out in January. It's been announced. Um, Cumulus, who I work for, is uh, the one that's going to be syndicating it. And uh, so there are 
it's not entirely you have to be 100 percent you know pro-trump but what's interesting about kind of all of this is you know like i said what role trump does play and i do think it is creating an environment where you do have to be either pro-trump or anti-trump but there's also another component and that is who is sort of the outlet itself that's that's sort of entertaining in a way because as important as news is it's also entertainment and i think you can be anti-trump i think you can be pro-trump and still be popular because you're a good talk show host and i think that's more what it comes down to like sebastian gorka will he make as a talk show host i don't think it really matters if he's pro-trump or anti-trump i think it'll matter if he's a good talk show host same thing with ben shapiro uh he's sort of ambiguous on the issue and his podcast has done amazingly well and like I said, you talk to some Trump people, they think he's anti-Trump. You talk to some anti-Trump people, they think he's pro-Trump. And yet his podcast has done so well. And so I think it's more about talent. And I think the problem with the weekly standard, um, there's also a lot of business stuff going on behind the scenes. You know, For example, they own the Washington Examiner, which they had announced uh, they're going to be launching a national magazine for the Washington Examiner. And so, you know, what is what's sort of going on behind the scenes with that story is, is another component. Uh, the Washington Examiner loses more money than the, than the Weekly Standard. So the argument that the Washington or the, or the, the, the um, Weekly Standard uh, was costing them too much money is not the case. In fact, the Weekly Standard's never made money. It loses anywhere from two to four million dollars. So it wasn't a, a, a money issue. And you mentioned people not reading the magazine anymore. There has been a steady decline since 2013, but nothing that showed the anti-Trump message caused the decline to, you know, there wasn't a max exodus. It wasn't like they lost, you know, 30% of subscribers in 16 or 17. So this, the decline has been mostly just because people are no longer reading the magazine, sort of a natural decline that's happening with a lot of political magazines. So there's a lot to it. And I think it does worry a lot of people that you have to pick one side or the other. But the reality is, is that I think that a lot of people are focusing on that. But the reality is, is that are you a good anchor? Are you a good talk show host? Are you a good writer? If you are, I think you will survive in any um, environment. Now, your audience might, you know, might be an ebb and flow. You might lose some and, and, and gain some. Sort of like when the administration's in power, you know, Rush Limbaugh does better when a Democrat's in White House. Talk radio does. When a Republican's in power, it's, they don't do as well. Um, so there's all those components, but if you're good, like Rush Limbaugh is, you're number one for 30 years. So I, I think you're always going to have that ebb and flow and people, I think, make it out to be bigger than it actually is. But what it really comes down to is, are you good or are you not? And that's whether or not an outlet's going to survive. Not the weekly standard wasn't good. They were great. They were amazing. I just don't know if there's an audience for that anymore. And I think that's the political magazines as a whole are not doing well. So I think it was more of just a change in the way we consume news. Right. And I think you talk about the the audience is a big component here because ultimately, no matter how we talk about whether it's the pro-Trump radio is the one doing well or pro-Trump television or or the pro-Trump versus anti-Trump, they're only doing as well as the the viewers they're getting, the listeners, the subscribers. And maybe that's what we should be concerned about is that people are gravitating more towards this um, – really polarizing type of media versus the people who do just want to watch the news, the people who listen to Walter Cronkite every night or who subscribe to something like National Review or Weekly Standard because they wanted to get that educated, rational viewpoint, a discussion of a particular issue. Um, and now it's just, it's really about the the, does that host agree with what I already believe? And people are flocking to that instead of 
what I would call more of a highbrow type of media outlet. I mean, do you think that is, is, is a component? Do you see that with, I, I see you on Twitter interacting with some of your listeners sometimes. And, and if you don't say exactly what they wanted you to say, they're upset about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, I know I've lost listeners. I mean, there's no doubt that people who, you know, and, and the funny thing is it's not really like I've changed that much. I have changed on some issues. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that, but you know, my stance is on the free market, on free trade, on fiscal discipline that I criticized Obama for. Now, all of a sudden, those same criticisms are I'm getting I'm getting criticized because how dare you you know go after the president. And this president in particular, I think there's a very visceral sort of reaction by a lot of people because and I think one of the problems is, is the medium or the media for the most part is so vicious. I mean, just so vicious that when you would, when I attack Trump, like let's say legitimately, and I go, you know, you really shouldn't have done that. They automatically go, oh, so I guess you're taking CNN side. It's like, no, I'm not taking CNN side. But unfortunately, that's sort of where we are. Whose team are you on? Whose team are you supporting? And so if you're criticizing Trump, you must not be on team Trump. And I'm not, I'm not on team Trump. I'm not on team anybody. I'm on team whoever fits my opinion. And I'm, I'm okay with bending my ideology. We all have to do it. You're never going to find the perfect candidate. But how much bend do we allow? That's, that's the question. And it seems like most people are saying, well, just break it and just you know get behind the guy because he's the Republican. Uh, same thing with Obama. I mean, we know the Democrats weren't happy with a lot of things that Obama did, but they were you know scared to criticize him. And meanwhile, Barack Obama oversaw some of the the worst losses the Democratic Party has ever witnessed. And I don't want the same thing to happen to Republicans. And But the problem is, is that, yeah, I mean, we, we, we become so team sort of oriented. Oh, and real quick, I do want to say this uh, about the Weekly Standard. I'm not even, I think their audience is going, I mean, going away, but it's not just because of the Weekly Standard. A lot of political magazines are going under. But I do think that there are conservatives that that magazine fills. But there's an, another important point is that political magazines all lose money. William Buckley said the National Review never made money. The uh, what's the the big liberal one in D.C. that had the big scandal? Um, not the Nation. It's uh, ah, I can't remember. It was on. They used, they used to call it the in-flight magazine, Air Force One. They did the movie about the guy that worked for him. I can't remember what it is now. But that never made money. The Weekly Standard never made money. So this idea that it's not a functioning business model, it's never been. Everyone knew that going in. Because journalism is is a very weird business where some of the best parts, like the investigative journalism, you know, the people who spend six months on a story and travel all over interview, those stories get all the headlines, but they still are very difficult to justify on a balance sheet because of how much money it costs versus someone just giving their opinion. We've talked about, you know, opinion journalism. The reason CNN does that, it's cheap. I know I'm in, I'm, I'm in a business where I just, you know, how easy it is for me just to read articles and then just go on the air and talk. I don't have to interview anyone. I don't have to fly anywhere. I don't have to go talk to anyone. I can just read an article and go, here's my opinion on that article. And that's easier. That's cheap. That does not cost a lot of money. Journalism costs a lot of money. Advocacy journalism costs a lot of money. And so it's not about the bottom line. These institutions do not make money. And so the idea that, oh, the money that lost was a big problem. Everyone knows going into it, they're going to lose money. So it, it's not a money factor. So I'm not sure what's going on with the Weekly Standard. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's where I sit on it is I think that 
there's going to have to be a change. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, you saw that with once newspapers started losing subscribers to the internet, they put up paywalls. And now a lot of them are actually taking the paywalls down just to try to beg people to come read their, their content to then build a subscriber base and to kind of monetize in different ways. Um, and even I've mentioned on here numerous times, if you go to a news website, it looks like an adult site. There's just pop-up windows and stuff going all over the oh, page. It's, it's, it's absolutely awful to try to read any sort of content on most websites because they're constantly fighting that funding battle. And, um, you know, so that's why I think that you should just tell all of your friends to listen to our podcast <laughs> and we'll save you a lot of time and effort. You don't have to, to, to click on all the, uh, the clickbait websites and, and worry about what kind of virus that the New York Times is going to put on your computer. Well, and what's interesting is the Washington Post, for example, doesn't, you know, I'm, I actually subscribe to that web, um, that paper because I am a uh, rhino and that's when you become a rhino, you get a free subscription. No, I actually, it's also, it's cheap because if you have Amazon Prime, it's like four or $5 a month. I mean, it's like crazy and expensive for, you know, what you get. Most papers are anywhere from like the News and Observer I also subscribe to. I think that's like 10 to $12 a month. So, I mean, the Washington Post for me, only five is, is pretty good, but they don't have a lot of that stuff. And want to know why? It's because Jeff Bezos owns them. He doesn't give a crap. And that's the reality is a lot of news outlets. What it really needs to be is, you know, billionaires funding these outlets, especially, like I said, advocacy journalism. I mean, that's a big, big component is that it requires a billionaire to basically say, yeah, just do what you guys have to do to get the story. I believe in what you're selling and your ideas. And it's important for me for those ideas to get out there. Um, and so I'm willing to take a loss because the reality is, is if you're a billionaire, $2 million, I mean, that's, that's someone said that's like their catering budget for their Christmas party. I mean, it, <laughs> they, they don't care. I mean, and so the idea that like this guy was like, oh my gosh, I have to stop this. I mean, he knew what he was getting into. So there's something else going on there, but the Democrats, this is something they did. The new Republic, by the way, was the name of the, uh, that magazine. It was at one point it was called the in-flight magazine of air force one when Bill Clinton was in office. That magazine's never made any money. And remember that Facebook guy, Chris Hughes, bought it and tried to change it and just totally screwed it up. He had no idea what he was doing. It's not a profit. It's not a model that's profitable. And so it has to be about the ideas and what is being pushed. And that's the thing that people fail to see. This wasn't about Trump, you know, anti-Trump. This was about this guy, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to put all my resources into the Washington Examiner because now he thinks this is going to be the next uh, big thing, but, and we'll see, maybe it'll work for him. Maybe it will. But this idea that like the wash, the weekly standard was, you know, underwater because of Trump, they've always been underwater. And so it's just, it's a very difficult business to make money in because it's so expensive. <laughs> it's so expensive to, I mean, look at what's happening and we're going to get into the ninth district, but WBTV, Nick Oxner over WBTV is killing it with the things that he has found. Um, but you know, luckily the story is pretty close to him and so he can go out there, but it, it's requiring a lot of legwork to get all this info on the story and it's not something that's cheap and it's, it might not even break even in some cases. No, it's, it's, it's not cheap at all. And I, I mean, dive right into that tower because I think that's the biggest North Carolina story by far that has just continued to develop since we last briefly talked about it now two weeks ago. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I know you've got a lot dug up on this, and I've been trying to keep my ear to the ground as well. Uh, but what's the latest on the uh, on the ninth district? 
All right, now first I want to apologize because I feel like I've talked way too much in this podcast, so I apologize for entirely too much. All the fans of Kevin out there, I apologize that we have finally turned this into the Tyler Crawley podcast with Kevin King. So I'm just. It gonna- only took you, you know, what nine, ten months, and and it happened. I just saying, so. I just saying, it was it was it was inevitable. Okay, so going back to the beginning, so real quick here, end of November, state board of elections says they weren't going to certify the ninth district, as we all know. Then, as as that was announced, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? I mean, the reality is, I've never seen a story this big catch everyone by surprise, and the story just gets bigger. And bigger and bigger. So the rumor started about this guy, Leslie McRae Dowles or Dallas is uh, how you not, not Dallas, D-A-L-L-A-S, D-O-W-L-E-S-S is his name. And he's kind of a political drifter who has been worked for pretty much everybody. I mean, both sides of the aisle, Democrats, Republicans. And rumors started about what exactly this guy does. And that he does get out the vote efforts for absentee ballots. And Bladen County was the focus of, I guess, his his headquarters of operations. And it turns out that when people started looking into this, now we still don't have any formal charges or anything, but independent news outlets started looking into McRae Dallas. And what they found was that he was on a lot of ballot applications, absentee ballot applications. So people were asking for absentee ballots or he was asking for absentee ballots for them. So that was a little bit, okay, that's nothing illegal, but that's maybe what he's doing. But then correspondingly, there were a lot of no votes. So that means they had a very high percentage of ballots that did not come back. That's when people started thinking, hey, maybe this is a ballot mill where basically he finds the people that are going to vote for Harris um, because that's who he's working for was Mark Harris's campaign. If they were going to vote for Harris, he would keep the ballot and send it in. If they weren't, he would toss it in the garbage. That is what is being alleged. And that's sort of where we are right now. During the investigation, they have found some other sort of sketch things. For example, the reason that Mark Harris, because Mark Harris has now confirmed that he did hire him. In 2016, in the GOP primary in Bladen County, there were three candidates. Robert Pittenger, the incumbent, Mark Harris, challenger, and this guy named T.J. Johnson, challenger. T.J. Johnson, McRae Dallas, was working for him. In Bladen County, in 2016, the GOP primary, T.J. Johnson got 99% of the Bladen County absentee ballot vote. Now, how that didn't set any red flags off, I mean, Kim Jong-un doesn't even get 99%. They're like, North Korea is like, that doesn't look good. Maybe maybe, maybe 90. Just make it 90. 99% of the absentee ballots are to T.J. Johnson. So that Mark Harris apparently saw that and said, we got to get this guy working on our campaign because that would have flipped the vote. That's how close... 2016 was. So he hires them. Boom. The vote gets flipped. Now everyone's looking into it. And it should be noted that there's also two other organizations that are being investigated for the same sort of sketchiness of either paying people for ballots or whatever it may be. Jeff Smith, who's also apparently on the Republican side, and then another organization called the Bladen County Improvement Association PAC that's been funded by the Democrats for a decade. And they were actually at the had a complaint filed against them in 2016 during all that McCrory craziness by none other than McCray Dallas. He actually filed a complaint against them for, you know, sketchy behavior in the primary. So there's a lot of craziness going on in Bladen County. And then it should be noted just to kind of end things here. Um, there's another issue that's arisen as well. A precinct worker filled out an affidavit, signed an affidavit, whatever it is the official legal terminology is, uh, testifying to the fact that, she, you know, I think it was a she, she was a poll worker 
And after early voting ended, she saw them counting the votes from that precinct. And the law is you're not supposed to count the ballots until after election day ends. And they were counting at the end of early voting. And so that led to the GOP saying, hey, if this is true and it looks like it is, there should be a new election. The state, the state lawmakers passed a bill that said that there was going to be not only a general election, but also a primary because if Harris did in the general, he probably also did in the primary. Uh, however, today we're now finding out the GOP is now sort of backtracking and going back to their original argument, which is unless you guys can prove that something happened, um, then certify Harris now unless you can prove otherwise. Because they've now moved the evidentiary hearing to this January 11th, which means the 9th District wouldn't have a representative until they get this all sorted out. So that's where we are right now. That's an awful lot to take in, Tyler. <laughs> I know, but this has been happening while you've been uh, off the grid. So, I mean, just imagine. I, know. I, I think I'm about to go back off the grid now. That was yeah. that was too much to take in. I mean, first of all, anyone knows that if you, you know, if you're in college and the teacher gives you a take home exam or something, like that, you don't get a hundred. You, you like leave one, you <laughs> miss one on purpose. You know, if, if you've got the answers to the test, you know, we even saw that in Animal House. You probably want to not get a hundred on the test to arouse suspicion, miss one here or there. Um, so ninety nine percent of of the um, primary, what was it, absentee ballots for one absentee candidate? Absentee ballots, Bladen County for one, the GOP. But what's even more crazy is that guy came in third. So, like, for some reason, all of his voters were, like, Bladen County absentee ballot voters. <laughs> like, I think what happened is that he did something shady and nobody called him on it. And he went, well, pff, why not? Let's keep doing it. And then the problem is, is now the eyes of the nation are on Bladen County. And, and well, I don't know I, what's going to happen. But the GOP, this about faced by the GOP has taken me by surprise. Because, I mean, last week they were basically calling for a new election. And now they're like, no, certify Harris. And it's like, whoa, 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 what happened? And I heard that the state board's being very, very secretive. And I guess that's kind of ticking off the GOP. Well, I think that's – you've got so many layers of politics going into play in this. You've, you've had the constant tension between the state board of elections and the GOP anyway. Uh, you had the constitutional amendment for the nonpartisan elections board. Um so I think that's one element of it. One thing I did want to bring up that you did not um, – you didn't happen to mention in your 8,000 facts about this <laughs> is that people actually looked back at the early voting during 2016 and saw that it heavily favored Cooper in Bladen County. And yeah. we know how tight that race was. So well, now no, – that, that was the, That was the challenge. It was brought forward by McRae Dallas. He was challenging another pack in Bladen County – saying they were doing sketchy stuff that ah. helped Cooper because the Bladen County Improvement Association Pact is Democrat funded. And how about that? I know. And so I'm wondering if the Democrats aren't kind of freaking out that now they've brought attention onto a pack that they've been funding for, I think, a while. That's also apparently been involved in some sketchy stuff that McRae Dallas was the one. He filed a complaint. I'll tell you, the balls on this guy are pretty impressive. I mean, the, is that a technical term? <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy is involved in all this shady stuff, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to accuse them of being shady. <laughs> you got a lawyer and everything. It was crazy. Looking back, it's like, man, that guy was just. I mean, that's like a, that's like a crack dealer calling the cops on another crack dealer. Like the guy on that corner over there selling crack, go get him. <laughs> it's it's just like that's crazy. That's just hey. something you see on cops. 
you got to get rid of your competition, right? <laughs> no. And let's be honest. I mean, does does anyone think that this is the only situation? They it's only this one guy oh, or yeah, yeah, one yeah. guy in one pack in Bladen County is the only voter. I mean, it's voter fraud, right? Voting irregularities, voting technically, uh, I think it's election difficulties, fraud. election fraud, yeah, whatever voter you want to call it. Voter fraud's, I guess, when the person you, you cheat in person. So if you show up and pretend to be someone else, that's voter fraud because you're fraudulently pretending to be a voter. Election frauds where you like manipulate ballots. Okay, so we have election fraud, and we think it's only <laughs> the only affecting Mark Harris in Bladen County. You got to be <laughs> kidding me! This has got to be going on statewide. And really, the thing it brings up to me is is we all know the Democrats do very very well in early voting. Absentee ballots and early voting is the stronghold. Usually it's on election day when uh, the Republicans tend to catch up or gain ground um, in an election. So it really makes you wonder, and I'm not saying that this is partisan because obviously it's the Republican who is engaging in this this time. Um, But my point being is that it, it really, to me, opens the door wide open to be asking the question of what in the world has been going on in early vo- uh, uh, absentee voting and how long has this been going on? Because I'm sure this guy didn't just invent this in one county. This has got to have been going on for probably a very, very long time. And we've heard about this all over the country. The uh, We heard about this in Florida with the recounts going on most recently, and they found boxes of ballots in a storage unit, or you always hear about them not getting properly secured from one location to the next. And a lot of these local races are so close. All it would take is is to throw away 50 ballots that should go to one candidate or the other. And you've completely thrown the election without having really to do much work at it. It's a pretty easy, simple way of, of messing with an election. Well, and if you look at McCrory Cooper, you, let's say you throw 50 ballots away or 100 ballots away. I mean, in this instance, they're actually arguing that McRae Dallas could have been responsible for five, six, seven hundred ballots. Let's say you do that because this, by the way, this, this investigation has already spread to Columbus County and Robinson County. And so I mean, and, and now I actually just saw an article that 21 candidates have used Dallas over the last decade. And I mean, so this, we're going to find out. And here's the thing. I really do think the Democrats are going to regret this at the end of the day, because I think they thought, "Ooh, we could win this congressional seat. But the reality is the Republican infrastructure has not been around long enough for them to really build some of the corrupt machines that already exist, especially in these rural communities um, where the Democrats have been taken advantage of uh, or taking advantage of people and had these systems set up. And the more we look into it, I mean, Dallas at one point was working, um, been working for Democrats for the most part. And so I don't think this guy's like an ideological Republican who snapped and said, Hey, let's go fix the race. I think he was like, I need to make some money and whoever pays me is who I'm going to work for. I don't think he has any ideological slant whatsoever. I think he's just about making money. And I think he slowly over time was seeing what he could get away with. And I think he finally may have crossed the line, but they're going to, they're going to regret this because we're going to find out that a lot of other candidates that Dallas helped. And I guarantee they're going to have D's next to their name. Yeah, no, I think without a doubt, this is going to be a big story. And really the ultimate question is what are we going to do to fix that? And I don't think that they are really taking any steps right now to secure absentee ballots. And Governor Cooper has just vetoed the voter ID bill. The Senate and House were probably coming back this week to try to override that veto for the photo ID. But we talked about that last episode that I think it's 
leaves things very open-ended for presenting an ID and you don't have to present an ID for an absentee ballot. So I'm not sure even once all of this is uncovered, what's going to stop anyone from doing it again next election cycle? Well, I, I think they put a little something in that one bill, the the one that changes the state board of elections back to just the state board of elections. And I think there's a little something absentee. But here, here is the conflict is that Republicans actually from statistically tend to do better with absentee ballots. Uh, Democrats do better with uh, early voting in person and then election day tends to maybe go Republican as well. But absentee ballots are a very small part of early voting and voting in general. And Republicans tend to do better because usually they're older voters um, and a lot of cases, older white voters. And so that's a demographic that Republicans do well with. And so Republicans for a long time have been sort of hesitant in criticizing irregularities with absentee ballots, but now I don't think they really have a choice. They're going to have to do something and step up and go after and, and put some real teeth in to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's last call, Tyler. Anything else that we need to talk about? No, no. Um, I think I think that covers it. I think, and plus, I'm done talking. I, I've talked too much. So, yeah, it was really rhetorical. I wasn't actually wanting you to add anything else to the discussion at this point. What's going to happen? I'm going to turn your mic off, and then I'm going to talk for the next 15 minutes to catch up. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, uh, I hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas, my friend and all of our listeners. And then um, I think we're going to try to put together some sort of year end uh, retrospection uh, episode uh, to come out between uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, no, I like. Yeah, because I'm, I'm actually doing for my radio show so we can kind of tackle a lot of the, the topics and things that that um, I've picked out. And you can tell me if I'm wrong or not about their top. They make the top 10 list, I should say. That would be great. We can do a top 10 list. It'll be like having Letterman back. All kinds of throwbacks <laughs> uh, to the good. pre-Trump era. All right, my friend. Well, uh, like I said, have a very Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll do this again very soon. You too, Kevin. See you, man. See ya.